Hello again, everyone. I'm Joe Longinusa, welcoming you to another edition of Next on the T with Chris Mascaro, the show where industry leaders, golf professionals, and legends all come and discuss the great game we love so much. So without further ado, let's turn it over to our host to tell us who's next on the tee. Chris, take it away. Hey, thank you, Joe. Good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining me today on Next on the Tee. We are brought to you today by the great folks over at the French Lick Resort, the World Golf Village, the Leather Shop, the PGA Tour Superstore, the Bobby Jones Company, and our good friends over at Frogger Golf as well. And if you haven't checked out FroggerGolf.com lately, they've got a wonderful array of products. I can't brag enough about their accessories like the amphibian towel that won the best new product at the PGA Merchandise Show back in 2009, or their new catch-latch technology that easily and securely attaches and releases your amphibian towel, your brush pro cleaner, to and from your golf bag. It really is a great way to make sure that you're not asking the group behind you, hey, anyone find my towel? Check them out online at froggergolf.com. And let me also say how much I love the new Bobby Jones apparel. Please go to bobbyjones.com and take a look at their summer clearance sale, plus their new fall arrivals. The Bobby Jones brand pays tribute to its namesake's achievements of excellence with sportswear, thoughtfully designed to preserve tradition. Plus, you can watch playing lessons from Bobby Jones that still hold true to today. Their golf shorts are both soft, plus they help you know, keep you cool because you know, some areas of the country are still blazing hot out there. Their new fall line has just come out. It really is fantastic, so go to bobbyjones.com and check out all of their great new apparel. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and this morning I'm excited to share two really great guests with you. First up is going to be former Houston Oilers and Minnesota Vikings linebacker turned PGA Tour rules official Mark Dusbabic. I'll talk to Mark about his college and pro football playing days, including, you know, with one of our good friends on the football side, you know, on our show Thursday Night Tailgate, his former teammate Ricky Foggy. We'll also talk about, you know, how he was able to make the transition to being a rules official and some of the more interesting rulings that he has had to uh, dole out. Mark is going to join me here in just a few minutes. Following Mark, we'll get a visit from PGA professional Chris Chaya. We'll get some lessons from him on how we can simplify our putting strokes. We'll also talk about his time playing golf at East Carolina University. We'll talk about, you know, how we can actually, you know, help our putting strokes by, you know, chipping the ball closer to the hole, leaving us shorter putts that we're going to have to make. So Chris will be along with me a little bit later in this half hour. So we're going to have a lot of fun this morning, and I'm so glad that you're here to take the journey with me over the next hour or so. Like I mentioned a moment ago, we're sponsored by the French Lick Resort, which is an absolutely spectacular place. Their Pete Dye and Donald Ross design courses were ranked number one and number two in the state of Indiana by Golf Week. It was the site of last year's Senior PGA Championship, and they just hosted the LPGA Legends Championship as well. Go to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself how great a place it is and to book your stay. We are also sponsored by our friends over at the Leather Shop. Makers of top-quality, custom-made leather, dress, casual, and golf shoes. Folks, do your feet a favor and put them inside shoes. They're going to keep them feeling good and looking good all day long. You can find them online at d-leather-shop.com. And every week here on Next on the Tee, we like to kick off the show by saluting the brave men and women serving in every branch of our military who are tuning in around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network. We can't thank all of you enough for the daily sacrifices that you and your families are making to protect our freedoms and our liberties. We also want to thank our veterans for all you and your families have done for us over the years. It's through your strength and your efforts that our way of life is even possible. Folks, if you happen to see a member of our military when you're out and about, wherever it is, whether it's in the grocery store, the restaurant, an airport, you know, wherever you might be, please stop for a moment and tell them thank you. They are our true heroes. 
Our sincere thanks as well to Sean Cruz and all the wonderful folks over at the Armed Forces Radio Network. It is such an honor for us to have Next on the T being a part of your network. You can find our show by going to armedforcesradionetwork.org. And I want to continue to remind our veterans out there, be sure to check out globalvoiceforveterans.org. What a great site with news and articles and a wealth of information designed specifically for our veterans out there that I'm sure you're going to find both interesting and beneficial to you. Again, globalvoiceforveterans.org. Now joining me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Mark Dusbovic. Let me give you some background on Mark. He's from Faribault, Minnesota, which is in the southeastern part of the state. He played college football at the University of Minnesota. He was a linebacker. He was drafted in the fourth round back in 1987 by the Houston Oilers. He would ultimately go back home to play three seasons for the Minnesota Vikings, which I have to imagine was a dream come true, which we'll talk about here in a minute. In 2006, he became a PGA Tour referee and a rules official. He's worked the Masters, the U.S. Open, the President's Cup, and world, plat- world match play events. He was a director of course rating for the Southern California Golf Association and a former assistant director of rules and competition for the SCGA. He is also the former president of the Professional Golf Referees Association and is currently their treasurer. And I'm honored to have him with me this morning on Next on the Tee. Hey, Mark, thanks for coming on the show. So, Mark, let's let's uh, start off our time this morning. Let's talk a little bit of you know talk a little football for you. You know, like I uh, I said, you know, I, you know, you you had an opportunity to go play at the at the University of Minnesota. One of our good friends on the football side on our show Thursday Night Tailgate is one of your former teammates at the University of Minnesota, Ricky Foggy. I was curious to get your thoughts. What do you, what you remember about playing with Ricky and what he was like as a teammate? Well, Ricky is still one of my uh, very good friends. Uh, in fact, I ran into Ricky last year when I went to the uh, Minnesota TCU game. So I ran out, I ran into Ricky there. Ricky's now doing a great job, uh, high school head coach up there. So it's um, it's a, it's great to see one of uh, my teammates uh, do well in in uh, in, in pursuing uh, the coaching career. But uh, Ricky was uh, one of Lou Holtz's uh, first recruits. He came out of South Carolina, and, and um, his nickname for us was Sweet Feet because he was such a great option quarterback and and uh, could um, could make a lot of guys miss. So he was uh, he was great great to work with, uh, great to play with, and uh, true truly a great friend. Yeah, he uh, happened to uh, communicate with Ricky last night. He wanted me to be sure to say hello to you. So, uh, yeah, Ricky's a great guy. When uh, we're very thankful for our friendship uh, with him on the on the football side. And as you mentioned a moment ago, Mark, you know, you were there playing for Coach Holtz at the University of Minnesota. You know, uh, Coach Holtz also a big golf fan as well. So, curious to get your thoughts on what it was like playing for Coach Holtz. Um, you know, Coach Holtz wasn't I, – I came in the year before Coach Holtz came there in 1984. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, so he was, uh, he was tough when he came in because he had to change some of the, uh, the old habits that uh, a lot of us had. And in, in we, we were a 1-10 or a 111 season. So he, uh, he came in and shaped us to, uh, got us into shape and, and, and got our minds right. And, and so uh, it was tough being – on the team when you weren't one of his the guys that he actually uh recruited to be on on the team so it's uh it was a challenge for me particularly but uh but uh, i stayed in touch with coach holtz after um after my playing days and and i actually ran across with him uh at tahoe at the uh at the celebrity golf tournament up there and um that was probably about seven or eight years ago and we've stayed in touch since we send each, each other emails every now and then and 
and I've asked him for advice and on things, and, and he's always, um, you know, one of the greatest things I think about Coach Holtz was that he did more for players outside of football and, and, and more towards life lessons that uh than 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 actually coaching you so um i i wanted to remind him of that and how much he meant it meant to me and and, and some of his uh, you know my other teammates and in the life lessons that we learned through him and, and his coaching style and and what it's done for us later in life which i think is more important when you when you uh the career the career and the football end that will end at some point and um and it's it's dealing with life lessons that uh that really carry you through. And Mark, as, as I mentioned, you were drafted in the fourth round by the Houston Oilers back in 1987. You ended up going back home with the Vikings in 1989. Just curious, that, was, was that a dream come true for you to go back home to Minnesota to play for the Vikings? Well, it was actually a funny story in how it came about. I was uh, I was a free agent. It was the first year of Plan B free agency in the NFL. And um, um, I, I felt like I needed to leave Houston. I didn't feel like I got a fair shake down there and that I had more of an opportunity, I think, to go play somewhere else. And so I was getting some very, very hard looks from people like, like, let's see, well, Tony Dungy and his and the staff under Marty Schottenheimer at Kansas City, Green Bay, um, and, and the other one was the New York Giants, and and I actually thought I was signing with the Giants. And on the last day of signing, um, I was visiting my mom and dad in Faribault, and and um, and I left for the airport. And I said, I'll call you when I get to New York. You know, I, I got the best offer and the best opportunity to go play for Coach Parcells in New York, and um, and so I left. And I I told them I'd call them when when I signed in New York, and later that day, and. When I got to the airport with my agent, we decided to call Minnesota one more time, and um, and they upped their offer at the last minute. So I never did get on the plane, and I went and signed with Minnesota. So it was it was wow. a great opportunity for me to stay in Minnesota and play and have it have it um, in close proximity, so my family could could watch me play, but. But it, it is a business, and 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 I think that a lot of people get caught up in, in the in the element that can go with it. So what I was very concerned about, and, and part of the reason I didn't want to sign with Minnesota is because I didn't want to be distracted by the high school friends, the college friends, the family commitments, and and all the other things that would would kind of seep into your lifestyle. And uh, I knew that I was uh, at a point where I needed to, um, if I was going to uh, further my career and, and, and last a little bit longer in the NFL, I needed to concentrate and dedicate my entire life to, to training and and um, and, uh, and being the best possible player I could. And so I, I actually saw probably my family less living there as as I tried to um as I tried to concentrate more on what what my profession was and uh and learn as much about the game and 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 train for the game as much as possible. So it was a great added benefit at the end but um but it was a challenging one that I had to uh review myself so to speak uh as a, as a, a, after I signed. 
So, Mark, I read that a, a knee injury actually ended your football career, but it was your football connections with guys like Rondé Barber and Monty Kiffin that helped you get you know, on the path, if you will, to being a PGA Tour rules official. Do you mind sharing that story? Um, you know, I was um... – yeah, my I had a knee injury in '91, and um, and then I tried to play and get through training camp in '92, and uh, re-injured the same knee, um, and then multiple surgeries afterwards. I realized that um, I didn't I didn't have a chance to continue on. I couldn't pass a physical. I got I had a couple um, tryouts with Detroit Lions and uh, Tampa Bay, and and on on both occasions I couldn't pass the physical so I knew that my career was over I'd always wanted to stay in Minnesota and 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 maybe continue in in either the coaching profession or or work with the Viking organization in some way but but um, because of the injury and because of some other things that happened that it just wasn't going to be in the cards so I was looking for something I could possibly do and get into um I had spent because I was only in college for three and a half years. I I needed to um, get my my college degree, and so I had spent my every off season since I was a rookie taking classes um, to to get that college degree from the University of Minnesota. So I eventually got that, and in, in uh, I think it was ninety one or ninety two. So I had my degree coming out after I had retired from football, and and I always I was trying to look at see what what interests I had in life. And I, I actually had an interest in finance. And so um, through a teammate of mine, uh, Pete Nigerian from college, uh, his brother had a, um, uh, John Nigerian had a trading company in Chicago. So I went down and worked for them for about two and a half years and uh, in options trading. And you can actually see those guys on, on CNBC now. They're They're very successful options traders. And and correspondence for for CNBC, but um, then I um, I moved to New York City and uh, took a job with uh, a company in um, in Jersey City, New Jersey, working in the uh, uh, as an institutional broker for Prebon Yamani, and uh, so that was going well, and my career was starting to move into the finance business and. And I was married at the time and uh, moved to Los Angeles and for her job. And um, I could not find a trading job. I could not find a, a finance job that interests me. So I, I was kind of just trying to figure out what my, uh, what my next goal would be or what, what my next career would be. And, and, and I always I had read a book that was called Do What You Love and the Money Will Follow. And... Um, and so I read this book, and it made me think that, you know, all my family outings, all my vacations, all my time with my buddies, college and high school, and all my free time on the weekends, what was I always trying to do? I was always trying to get out and play golf. And and um, I grew up playing golf just, just locally with my dad and caddying and, and um and hanging around the golf course in the summer, and and I always had an interest in it, and I always loved playing it, and I always tried to play as much as I could, and I hosted a couple charity events when I was playing for the Vikings, and and I didn't know much about what what you could do in golf besides being a a professional golfer or a uh, PGA teaching pro, 
And I knew I couldn't do either one of those. And so I called my golf pro in Minnesota and, um, and he suggested I call the Southern California Golf Association and see if I could volunteer. And I realized that I have no experience in this in this business either, just like when I went into finance. So let me start at the very bottom and let me start as a volunteer. So I volunteered for them for a year and uh, and then realized that there are a lot of different opportunities within amateur golf and the the club pro side and and also in professional golf and and so then I I moved back to New York and took a job with the PGA's Metropolitan section and I ran the inner city junior golf program for them for a year and a year and a half and then got offered a job from Southern California Golf Association again so it kind of all grew from that but it was all about finding what your passion was and finding what my interest was and and making a career out of it. So it's happened to work out for me. And Mark, as I was, you know, doing some research, I, I saw that there are really only a handful of PGA Tour rules officials. I, I believe the number is, is is 13, and seven of you work a tournament at a time, which then sort of, you know, kind of made me think, you know, trying, you know, as you talk about trying to break in and get a job and that sort of thing, it, trying to be a PGA Tour rules official seems like it's probably like trying to get on the U.S. Supreme Court to try to get one of those jobs because you're essentially waiting for someone to retire or die because I can't imagine that anyone, once they get the job, ever leaves it. That's, a, that's exactly right. You couldn't have put it any better. It's, it's, somebody either has to retire or die in order to create a position. Um, there are only 13 of us, and um, and you work 28 weeks a year. Um, you, you work a full week, so sometimes, uh, you know, right now I'm in the middle of a three-week stint, so I'm on the road for three straight weeks, and and uh, and then I go home for a week and a half before I, I head off to Asia for another two and a half weeks. So um, it is a job that, that a lot of – it's not for everybody. It's, it's a lifestyle that's not conducive for a lot of things. Um, uh, it's a different style of, of a job and lifestyle and the pressure and everything else. But, but it fits me, and it's worked for me, and, and I love doing it. And um, I feel very fortunate to be in this position. I, I, didn't, I didn't get into golf seeking to be a – uh, a PGA Tour rules official. It, it, I didn't know much about them, and I wasn't really interested in being that. I, I actually went into the job because I wanted to. I saw the different avenues in, in amateur golf, whether it's course rating or rules or, or competitions or, or club relations or handicapping, and I thought, you know, I got a little of experience in all of those, and maybe the best thing I, I, I think from my football background, I, I feel like I've always been kind of a, a leader and. Um, and I thought, well, maybe being an executive director of a of a state and regional golf association would be my best uh, direction that I would pursue. And um, this job came up before that came up, so uh, so I'm very happy in this position, and and uh, and it's worked out great. And Mark, it's not like the you know the the rules of golf is a is a little pamphlet that you know we can all memorize all of the rules and you know have it at our disposal. I got was it hard? Was it hard? You know, essentially, I guess memorizing all of the rules so that you know you can you know quickly recall you know whatever the ruling needs to be or whatever the rule is so that you know uh, you know you, I guess you you make the right call if you will. Yeah, the the rules of golf are are very difficult to learn, and um, 
and I guess it'd be equivalent to maybe maybe uh, I've never taken the bar exam, but maybe something like that, because my book is probably about two inches thick, and and the case studies or, or decisions as we have in, in, in golf, and and um, and there's there's one thing to learn the rules of golf and understand them, but the application of them or how to conduct yourself um, in a in a in a, uh, a a rule situation during a tournament is is totally different. There are, there are people out there who can who can intricately go through the rules of golf and understand them and, and have this great memory and this great mind to to um, to to learn and 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 understand everything they read. But the application of it, they don't have any. Um, um, they don't have any etiquette as far as how to handle a ruling. So I think there's a combination of, of both as far as what we do for a living um, that maybe separates us from others. We uh, uh, it was very hard learning them at first, but I but I actually started when I was working at the uh, the PGA Met section in New York. I um, um, I was told by one by one of my fellow workers that if you ever want to get respect in the uh in the golf industry is is to le- learn the rules of golf just have an understanding of the rules of golf not knowing them backwards and forwards but having a little understanding of them so you can uh, so you can uh, carry yourself in, in 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 social situations or or um around your peers and and so i started studying the rules on my own i started taking uh uh usga pga um pga of america rules exams um, in classes, workshops. Um, so it took me, it took me a few years, but I was doing it before I actually got into the rules side of, of golf. And so, uh, once I got into it, then I, 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 you know, I took a liking to it and I thought I was, I was pretty decent at it. And then, you know, our job, our job now is, is so much more than rules. I mean, it's, it's, I'm here in Atlanta right now preparing for the tour championship, marking the golf course, dealing with sponsors, dealing with uh, concessions and, and uh, hospitality suites and roping and, and uh, t- setting tee times and intervals for how long a player should play a hole and a lot of different things that we do in our, our, our role as a PGA Tour official. However, the basis of it all, yes, is is the rules of golf, and I and I I continue to continue my education with that, and try to uh, always learn a little bit more and, and remember a little bit more, and and uh, it's it's definitely a challenge. I'm talking with Mark Dusbabic here on Next on the Tee, and Mark, just a couple of more before we let you go. And as you talk about you know the uh, duties that you have this week at the uh, Tour Championship, how do you how do you determine how long it should take a player to play a hole? <laughs> pace of play is is probably the biggest topic, and uh, te- pace of play and technology are probably the biggest topics in, in golf right now, and. Uh, um, pace of play is is uh, sometimes is, is not quite quite understood correctly by by the general public, and you can figure out uh, just based on uh, the length of the hole or the type of hole how long a group of two players or a group of three players would play that hole, and so we set down a time par as we call it per hole, and uh, and that starts from when the flag goes in on the the preceding hole going on to the flag going in on on the hole you just completed and so 
generally a, a, a normal par four for a um, uh, for two players would be would be 14 minutes, and um, and then you figure out for every hole how long it would be, and and uh, and that's kind of how you figure it out for us. But then but then as far as pace of play is concerned, you also have to figure out where they are in relation to the group in front of them, and and how they are as a group. Relative to that time par after 13 holes, are they are they under that number? Are they over that number? If they're over that number, is it because they lost a ball and they were allowed five minutes to search for that ball, so that's going to take them over that time? And so you kind of work with uh, you, you communicate throughout the whole day between all the officials on the golf course situated in different areas. On okay, well this group. They finished this hole at this time. They had a ball search here. They had a ruling over here. Um, and you just kind of watch the groups, and you just kind of figure out uh, when they're out of position and, and, and when they need to get pushed a little bit with maybe getting timed. And, and uh, it all seems to flow well. And then you all try, you all, the ultimate goal is to reach the TV finish time that you're trying to do. TV pays you know they put in all this money to telecast the show and in the in the tournament. So if they want to finish at five o'clock, you do your best to make sure that that last group sinks their putt just before five o'clock. And you, you talk about you know rulings and and that sort of thing, Mark. So it just sort of begs the question: What have been some of the tougher rulings that you've had to lay out? <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes, you, just like in anything, your 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 mind can go blank, and uh, maybe it's fatigue. Maybe it's the fact that you've been on the road for a month and and you just you, you don't know what city you're in, or you don't, you, you know you, your time zone changes, whatever. And and sometimes you just can't you can't recall certain things, and and but you know the ruling, but you just can't remember correctly. And you know, I guess that happens in in, in any in any sport. Um, we as officials uh, always have that radio with us to to make sure that we can we can um, call on others to help us with uh, something that we're having a a, um, a a blank mind on at the time. Um, all we want to do is basically just get the get the ruling right. Um, every great official, though. Um, would be lying if they told you they never made a mistake. And so we all make uh-huh. mistakes, and we all will never forget that ruling that we made a mistake. Um, there are always some obscure things out there. Anytime you do a ruling that's uh, with one of the feature groups, you know, when Tiger was out here or or Rory or somebody, and you have, you know you're being critiqued by 10 million people watching on television. You have 2,000 people around you in the crowd saying things you have the player and the caddy trying to talk in your ear you have you have uh dotty pepper with a microphone right there trying to catch every word you say so you it's 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 sometimes it's it's a little nerve-wracking trying to make make sure you say the right thing make sure you handle it the proper way make sure your your mannerisms are correct um so those are all the pressure things that go into doing the ruling and and not to mention, and especially in this tournament that we're doing next week here, it's it's worth ten million dollars to the winner. So it's uh, there's a little bit of, on the line. Um, a long time ago, I had a ruling uh, in Hartford, Connecticut, at the um, at the Travelers Championship, where a player hit his ball and it and it um, up towards the green on a par five, and it, and it kind of rolled off the green down towards into the water and. 
and he called me for a ruling. And, and anytime you go for a ruling, you, you, you're trying to think of what could this possibly be? What could the player possibly be asking for? And sometimes that's bad to think in advance and think of trying to create the scenario in your head rather than just getting the facts first. So I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to just just cut all that out and keep my mind clear. And the player says, you know what, I don't even know this ruling. I've never seen this. I don't even think it's in the book. And so now I'm thinking to myself, well, if he's, <laughs> this guy doesn't know it, he's a 20-year veteran, then, then how the heck am I going to know this ruling? <laughs> well, the, the ruling was actually the ball was at rest, and it was just sitting outside the, the, the water hazard, the red line on the water hazard, so it was just off the green. And a turtle had come out of the water and came up and sat on top of the ball and then grabbed the ball and pulled it back into the water. So, so in the rules of golf, you just, you know, you got to kind of go through steps and think in your head of, of, of what it actually was. And the ball was at rest. It was, where did it lie? It, it, lie, it was lying through the green what moved it, an outside agency, and a turtle is an outside agency, so the ball came to rest, and, and the turtle came up out of the water, took the ball. The ball wasn't readily recoverable, obviously. It's down in the water with the turtle, and and so the player then the player has to put the ball back on that spot, but he doesn't know the exact spot, so now you have to go to uh, estimate the spot, and he doesn't know the lie, so he has to drop the ball instead of place it, and Anyway, we go through all the scenario, and, and, and I, got the, I got the ruling right. I, you know, I figured it all out right, and the guy chips it in for birdie. So it was great, wow. great result to it. Hey, Mark, one more before we let you go. And, um, you know, as, as you talk about, you know, being under the pressure and, you know, all the you know, open cameras and mics and all that sort of stuff, with the advancements in high-definition TVs and super slow motion and cameras everywhere, how do you feel about the ability for viewers to call into a tournament and advise about a rule that they think a player violated? Unfortunately, I think that's the way it is in golf, just because it's a different type of sport than other sports. I and mean, you obviously can't do it for something like football because of real time. You can't, you can't turn around and hold up the, 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 the telecast because, or, the, or the game because you're trying to, you feel that a call from Joe Blow sitting on his couch. I would like to say that, first of all, most 90% of the calls that we get, the, per, the person doesn't know what they're talking about. They, they don't understand the rules of golf well enough. On those small, rare occasions that something was seen, I, I guess, you know, it's not the greatest to have to deal with it from our end. Um, in the in the long run, I think that the players and everybody involved in the tournament, they want the most equitable um, result that that's fair for not only that player but for the entire field and unfortunately some players um, are under the microscope a little bit more with television coverage than others and so maybe that creates an unfair advantage but along with that become you know there, there's a lot of royalties that come with that as well so there's uh there's a there's an upside and a downside. You know, I will say that golf and, and, and the professional players are night and day different than than the professional sport that I came from. Golf golf is a game of honesty, integrity, um, etiquette. Football was the exact opposite. There was everybody trying to <laughs> cheat and try to figure out a way to to win at, at all costs. 
and golfers are are, are probably the most um, honest and responsible people I've ever met, and they. I've had I've had opportunities or I've had situations where I've had to sit down in the scoring trailer before the player signed his scorecard, and he's telling me that I don't know I think my ball might have moved but I'm not sure if it did, and and I and I have to just turn to the player listen you're the only one can tell me if you think it moved then I have to penalize you if you don't think it moved nobody else saw it we don't have television coverage of it the caddy didn't see it the the fellow competitor and his caddies didn't see it, it all weighs on this player's shoulders. And more often than not, the player will turn to me and he'll say, you know what, give me the penalty. I'd rather take the penalty than have any doubt in my head. And I don't want, I don't want any um, negative um, thought or feeling towards me about this. And so I got to be able to sleep at night. Let's just get, take the penalty and I don't have to worry about it. So, I don't think you'd see that in any other sport you think about in basketball or something. Nobody, nobody ever follows anybody and nobody ever thinks they committed a foul. <laughs> Same with pass interference or something in football. So that's, what's great about the game of golf. And, um, and so the players I think can be very respectful. And, 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 and when it comes and somebody says that, Hey, we, we, we called in, we saw this, this infraction, then, you know, if the player feels like it's an infraction and, and, than it is. They'll, they'll accept it and move on. Mark, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your morning to, to be a part of the show with me today. I hope you'll come back and do it again sometime. Share more of your stories and your insights with us. It was great getting the opportunity to talk to you today. Uh, I'd love to. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Take care, Mark. All the best to you and your family, my friend. Say hi to Rick. That was uh, Mark Dusbabic, uh, PGA Tour Rules official. Look forward to having Mark back on the show for you know with us sometime. Great stuff, great insights. There's a, so much more to get into with Mark and, and you know the, his time you know being at places like the Masters and wonder what it was like you know trying to be a rules official at a tournament like that. Uh, you know, so hopefully we get the uh, the opportunity to uh, catch up with uh, Mark again real soon. Before we get to my next guest, Chris Chaya, I want to give a shout-out to our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore, which is a golf wonderland and the best, you know, one of the best places you know, to get everything you need to, uh, to look great and play great out on the golf course. Check out all their great items from golf balls to clubs to range finders and so much more by going to PGATourSuperstore.com. Also, our friends at Jones Global Sports and the Bobby Jones Company, folks, raise your game to new heights in performance with a brand that's best known for style, character, and excellence for the last 25 years, and that's the Bobby Jones Company. They have an inspired collection of products that capitalize on fabric technology to deliver a modern look and performance while honoring the legacy of Bobby Jones that delivers on his promise of enduring style. They, they work hard to earn your respect, your trust, and your business, and just as important, my friends, your long-term friendship as well. Communicate that you're here to stay by wearing clothes from a brand that has enduring style and presence, and that's the Bobby Jones Company. Check out all the great styles by going to bobbyjones.com. And while you're on their site, click on the equipment link to see the great line of drivers, fairway woods, hybrids, putters, designed by one of the game's most influential equipment designers, Mr. Jesse Ortiz. 
like his father Lou and Bobby Jones himself, really, Jesse has a passion for golf and golf club design. You remember his tri-metal fairway woods from his days at Olimar. Well, now he's putting his innovative designs and his creativity to great work with the uh, Bobby Jones Company. You can find it, again, online at bobbyjones.com by clicking the equipment link or going directly to bobbyjonesclubs.com. And I also want to give a shout-out to our friends over at the World Golf Village. Uh, my buddies and I, we, uh, we did our annual golf trip down there this year. Fantastic. Everybody down there was so great to us. It's located in historic St. Augustine, Florida, just south of Jacksonville. The World Golf Village is the ultimate golf vacation and destination for, in a true paradise, really, for golf fans. Boy, it just doesn't get any better. The village, as it's often referred to by the locals, is the home of the World Golf Hall of Fame as well, where the greatest players and contributors are honored. They've got 70,000 square feet of displays, trophies, and personal memorabilia. The World Golf Village has two championship golf courses, included the King and the Bear, co-designed by Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicklaus, and the Sam Sneed and Gene Sayers and uh, Gene Sayers in Masterpiece, the Slammer and the Squire. So, folks, it is absolutely fantastic down there. They've got the PGA Tour Golf Academy, which has the latest in learning technology and world-class instructors as well. The Renaissance Resort down there at the World Golf Village has an array of amenities and dining options, premier services. Folks, no matter the time of year or the length of your visit, the World Golf Village is sure to deliver an unmatched experience that you're going to have with your family and your friends, and you're going to make memories that last you a lifetime. For more information, go to worldgolfvillage.com or give them a call, 1-800-948-4653. We're going to get to my next guest, Chris, and we're going to do so on the other side of this station identification. You're listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, heard around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network. Now joining me on the French Lake Resort guest line is Chris Chaya. Let me give you some background on Chris. He graduated from East Carolina University with his degree in marketing. He has been a PGA golf instructor at Boca West Country Club for the last 26 years. He has been named the PGA Teacher of the Year for the South Florida section by the PGA of America. He's also been a, a featured swing, swing, fix, swing Fix instructor and contributor doing videos and analysis and writing articles for the Golf Channel. He's been doing that for the last five years. He's also been, you know, you can find Chris's work all across the net doing, doing articles, you know, uh, swing videos, contributing to a, an array of people, an array of companies all across the net, like I said. And I'm very honored that he has taken time out of his morning to be next, with, next on the tee with me. Hey, Chris, thanks for joining me today. Hey, good, mor- good morning, Chris. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Chris, you know, we've had a bit of a football theme this morning. My last guest, PGA Tour rules official Mark Dusbovic, and, uh, you know, he talked about his time playing in the NFL for the Oilers and, and the Vikings, and we also do a, you know, a show on the football side Thursday night tailgate with the NFL Alumni Association. And one of our regular guests over there, Chris, is uh, former Patriots running back Tony Collins, who's also – an East Carolina alum playing there back in the, the late 70s, early 80s. So, uh, and he's a very proud ECU alumni. Talks about him all the time on the show. So, curious to get your thoughts on uh, on your East Carolina Pirates this season. Nice win last week against North Carolina State. They've got South Carolina a little bit later today, and then Virginia Tech and and my UCF Knights in the uh, on the schedule here in the next coming weeks. How do you feel about your Pirates this year? Well, it's very exciting. I know uh, with the new coach, uh, Coach Mo, Coach Montgomery in there, replacing Ruffin McNeil, uh, I know all of Pirate Nation is very excited, and we're off to a great start. And uh, I'm really looking forward uh, to watching them uh, today, later today against South Carolina. I think it's going to be a good game, and, and let's hope uh, 
the, the quarterback Nelson can uh, throw some deep balls and, and uh, make it happen down there. So it should be uh, quite exciting. I know uh, my time in East Carolina uh, in the late 80s was, uh, was very interesting with, with the football team. We've always had a great program, and uh, many players have gone to the NFL. And I remember vividly watching many games from the sidelines, nice enough to uh, arrange for some of us to uh, be down on the sidelines in some capacity. So we watched a lot of games uh, from the sidelines, which was really cool. Uh, but, yeah, I'm uh, really proud of Pirate Nation, and, and it's, it's going to be a great, great season. And uh, your last guest, Mark, what a, what a fantastic uh, job he did listening to his comments on the rules and so forth. And I'm going to try to talk quickly because I know from my playing days, uh, I was on the clock many a time and, and through college and through professional golf. Uh, so it's kind of interesting to hear his comments on, on the, the, the speed of pace of play and so forth. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting you bring that up, Chris. You know, what's it like? When when an official comes over to you and 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 tells you you're on the clock, Did, is it does that start to mess with you mentally? You know, can you put that aside and continue on with your 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 normal routine, or is that something that sort of nags in the back of your head that can kind of throw you off in your game? No, it's 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 quite difficult. I remember back uh, playing for East Carolina in college, uh, all four years that I played there, uh, they were pretty strict on the on the pace of play, so we got a good taste of of being on the clock early in college and, and it's really great training, but it just, as a player, you don't necessarily know when you're playing slow. So it's, it's some of those things that just become a habit. And what really helped my pace of play uh, in, in my playing days is that uh, fellow players would come up to me after the round and say, Hey man, you need, you need to really work on your pace of play. And I took it as constructive criticism. And, and the more I worked on it, the more I realized I, I started playing better, the faster I played. So I'm a real advocate of, of teaching players how to play quicker and uh, not take so long. And, and uh, it's really one of those things that I think we need to educate golfers on more is how to play faster. And, um, but when you're in a tournament, you're on the clock, you definitely uh, notice it and, and it can, and it can affect your play for sure. Um, but I always took it as uh, constructive. If, if a fellow player came up to me and said, Hey, hey you need to, to pick it up. I, I, I took that and, and, and I would, really make an effort to speed up, and, and it helped me quite a bit, and I started playing better. And, Chris, before we get off uh, the East Carolina alums, as I was sort of looking back through the record books at East Carolina, another uh, East Carolina alum that uh, went on to great success in the game of golf is John McGinnis. He was a three-time winner out on the tour, and we hear him now as a commentator on uh, Sirius XM and PGA Tour Radio. You have an opportunity at some alumni events or whatnot to get back together and, uh, and uh, sort of swap stories with John? Well, yeah, John is a great guy, and I've, I've talked to him a number of times, and um, he's uh, he really has some good insights into the game and had a nice, a real nice career. And every year there's the, the, the Hall of Fame uh, Letter Winners Weekend at East Carolina, and in the past couple of years, unfortunately, I've missed it just due to my uh, my demands as a PGA Teacher of the Year. I'm just very busy, and uh, it's tough to get away with, with uh, my, my kids and, and their activities uh, that time of year, but... I'm looking forward to next year making that that weekend back in Greenville uh, to catch up with all the guys and and play Brook Valley Country Club and um, and reminisce. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's an annual event. Uh, but I have spoken to John and and uh, we do catch up. And Chris, like I mentioned in your intro, you've been named PGA Teacher of the Year for the South Florida section and the Southeast Florida PGA Teacher of the Year as well. What's what's it like? 
you know, when your governing body comes to you and recognizes you as, you know, one of the one of the best in your craft and one of the best in your field and is one of the best teachers of the game in the country. Well, it was it was such an honor to be recognized first by my peers and then to actually win the Teacher of the Year award along with the Southeast the Chapter Award. Uh, it was it was a, it was a you know really a thrill and and I've worked my my entire career as a player and as a coach and to be recognized was just uh, something special. And uh, our section, the South Florida section, just like the Met section and a uh, few of the other large sections in the country, it's very competitive and we have so much talent in in the South Florida area and, and especially uh, in the area where I'm in, Palm Beach County, Southern Palm Beach County. There's just so many top pros and teachers that. Uh, it's really uh, great to be a part of that and to be recognized was uh, I was more excited. I think winning that than winning some of the tournaments. I mean, in, in, in golf, uh, you work so hard at your game to, to be a competitive player. And I know I was fortunate to win one uh, tournament in college at the Wolfpack Invitational at NC state. That was a big thrill. And then when you win events at the section level uh, and you win other pro tournaments, you're excited. Uh, but winning teacher of the year really for me was uh it really made me feel good and, and, and gave me a platform in which to uh, really promote the game uh, more and, and, and be involved more. So it's uh, it's quite an honor. And, Chris, I, I really like your website, kristenchaya.com. And for our listeners, Chris spells, Chris's last name is spelled C-Z-A-J-A. So his site is kristenchaya.com, kristenchaya.com. And you, and you give people on the site, Chris, the opportunity to go on there, post videos, and then you'll analyze their swings and give them feedback for what they may be doing wrong. Talk about how that works. Well, yeah, with the online platform, you know, online lessons are, are quite effective, and, and players that maybe can't get to a, a PGA pro to see a pro in person or just have questions, or it can be used as a lifeline for current students to get back in contact with me so I can see their swings. That's something great. And, and really with the Internet and with um, – uh, the way things are now, it, it's so easy for players to contact uh, pros that uh, it, it, it's just a, it's a it's it's really a lifeline where, where where they can get advice and get help on their game and and not necessarily have to travel um, to see the pro in person. But I've had a lot of clients that have uh, found me through the PGA or the Golf Channel or just uh, through my website and then eventually make a trip to Boca and, and see me at Boca West Country Club, which is the uh, number one private equity club in the state. And they come out and they come out and see me in person. And it's just great for me to, to work with students from all around the country and from different countries. Um, but, you know, there's, there's something with the online lesson and the video analysis that's good, but it's still, you know, when you work one-on-one uh, with, with students, that's where they really uh, get the most uh, the benefit. And, Chris, I read one of your posts talking about uh, one of the reasons that Danny Willett was so successful earlier this year at the Masters was how simple his putting stroke is. Curious to get your feedback on what, what makes a putting stroke simple versus complicated, and do we overthink our putting strokes, um, you know, trying to make this correction or that correction? I'm curious to get your thoughts on how we can putt better. Well, one of the things, and I get this question actually from other pros and teaching pros that ask me, you know, how I, what, what method or what do I teach players? Why, how do I get students to putt so much better that the, you know, the methods that I teach players have, they have a lot of success with it. And I always tell them that 
one of the most important things is you have to give your student a method. Now, the method can be fit to the player, but they need to know what exactly their method is. And, and it, there could be three key things that they do with their putting stroke that become their method, but the student really has to know what that method is so they can go back to it and consistently work on the same thing. So let's say if part of the method is uh, how you stand to the putt correctly, you know, you hold the putter and you, and you take a certain stance to the ball, you want to do that the same way every time. From there, let's say you, like Willett did with the line on the logo, you line up your putter exactly to the line on the ball. That's part of your method. And, and, and you kind of craft a method that fits the player, but the, the student is very aware of that method, and that's what they practice. And it, part of it's the routine, but it can be simplified, but it is spelled out, you know, A, B, and C is part of the method, and you just do those things. And too often, and I used to do this in college. When I was playing for East Carolina, I wasn't the best putter in the world, but I used to find myself when I was playing against Davis Love or Billy Andre and Brad Faxon, I'd watch these players, and then I would find myself the next week trying to copy exactly what they were doing. And then the next week I would, I would practice, you know, when I played with Dillard Pruitt, who's a rules official now, but I would see these, or Jack Nicholas Jr., I'd, I would – maybe copy some of their styles and I never really found my own style to be consistent with. So I was kind of an erratic putter. I would, I would put well one week and bad the next week. And I was always changing and I was changing putters. It wasn't until early in my, my career that someone actually showed me some real key things with my putting stroke and it happened to be George Burns, the uh, senior pro. I met him and, and he showed me some things with my putting and that became my method. And then I started putting so much better. And if I had known some of these things, that I created in my method when I was in, in college, let's say my putting would have been a lot better. So, you know, that really opened my eyes to how to teach the short game. And uh, I've had a lot of success coaching players and, and some really good players in putting because I, I try to really give them a method that they can then uh, take as their own and they can really uh, perfect it. And, and think, and sometimes it's, pretty straightforward but it but it definitely works and 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 that's one of the keys to being a good putter you don't want to be the guy changing all the time so you don't want to be the to, guy getting a new putter every week or trying a new grip every week you got to have yeah. somebody show you you know this is what you need to do and just stay the course and do it and i remember after the the, the, the tips i got from from george it, it took me a little while a couple of months before i really started getting it but then i went out and i shot course record 64 at the windsor club in a section event i, I was 800 then i went out PJ National shot seven under with nine birdies on the champ course, and I said, you know, I'm really putting well. And I was I was really surprised at how my method really was very very solid, but it became easier. The more I did it, the easier my the putting became. So it was uh, something that I that I've really taken heart in, and I teach players uh, all the time the short game, which I think is so important. And to, to that end, Chris, is, is there a tip that you can give us that can help us get on the right path to, to become better putters? Well, the first thing is um, one of the best things to do with your, with your local PGA pro is to take playing lessons, is to go on the course with a pro and actually have the pro watch you on the golf course. And let's say in regards to the putting, when the pro sees how you're putting on the golf course, they can then direct you or if someone comes to see me, I can direct them to how they can improve their putting just based on what I see. So some of the best suggestions that I've given players is after I watch them on the golf course, 
partner. I watch somebody in a pro-am, one of my amateurs play, and then I can say, hey, we need to do this, this, and this, because I see them in action. You know, game conditions are, are, are totally different than on a putting green. So uh, that's a good starting point. You know, take a playing lesson. You know, take the time to go on the course with a pro. Um, people want to come see me in Boca. They're welcome to come to Boca Raton, and, and I'll be happy to, to work with them. Um, I'm a big believer in the on-course instruction. So, Chris, one of the articles that I read you know, talks about how you know, we need to think about golf more holistically. When, when you ask people why they don't score better, sometimes they tell you that they need to be better putters because they're missing too many 10 to 15 footers, but they don't step back and think, boy, if I were a better chipper, I could you know, yeah, keep, you you know, quit leaving myself <laughs> these 10 to 15 footers. Yeah, so you know, exactly make it better. Right. Talk about truly assessing our entire game like that. Yeah, I remember one of the articles I wrote on the holistic approach, and the, uh, one of the producers asked me, well, what did you think about, you know, the player that won this, the, the tour event? I said, well, if you look at the, the whole game, you know, the holistic approach to what that player was doing in all areas of their game, they were really good. And when players, you know, try to improve a little bit in each area, the total of the improvement is, is really great. So the long game, you look at the short game, you know, you look at your how you manage yourself on the golf course, and you, and you look at these factors, and you try to get a little better in each. But, you, you know, when it comes to the approach shots, I try to have players, you know, reduce the score builders. You know, if you're not getting on in one shot from inside 100 yards, you need to work on those shots to the green to get the ball on the green in one shot. You don't need to take two to get on the green from a range that you can reach. Uh, you want to be better at those shots, and that will help lower the score. So you look at the whole game, not just – what most people like is, hey, let's work on the driver. And, Chris, you, you've played in so many golf tournaments. Curious to get your thoughts. Are, are there a couple of places, you know, that, you know, we should all put, you know, on our golf bucket list, you know, that we need to make sure that we go out and uh, get an opportunity to play on that you've had the, the opportunity to go play? Oh, definitely. I know one of the uh, National Club Pro Championships I qualified for, and I was absolutely thrilled when I qualified through the section because our section has so many top players. It was very competitive to get into the National Club Pro Tournament. Uh, and I qualified for the one at Whistling Straits up in uh, Polar, Wisconsin, uh, where they've had you know, many major championships now there. But playing in the National Club Pro on that course and seeing that creation, that peak guy creation on Lake Michigan, I mean, it was absolutely I mean, I remembered after playing a practice round, I could remember every hole, every shot, and, and that's really what I base a great golf course on. Another one uh, that's just truly outstanding is Valhalla and, and Louisville. And I, and I think back to my college days, I was actually offered a full scholarship to go to Kentucky, and, and I had already really kind of made up my mind I was going to play for East Carolina, and I never actually went to, uh, to, the, to Kentucky to even check it out. Uh, and after going and playing in Louisville, it's in such a beautiful area, and that golf course, uh, Nicholas uh, design, uh, that's one I would highly recommend. And down here in Florida, I love uh, what, what Trump has done at the Trump Doral. Uh, that course is really cool to play if you want a difficult course, but memorable. The Trump Doral uh, would be fantastic. And, of course, uh, a couple more in Florida that I love um, uh if you if you want to come down and play the PGA Champ course where they play the Honda Classic, you can get on that. Um, and another one that most people probably haven't heard of down here in Florida is Black Diamond Ranch. Hmm. 
Hmm. And Black Diamond Ranch is uh, in the central part of the state. Um, that's one to check out. And if I were to add, there's one course I have not played that, that looks really interesting is the new Tiger Woods uh, course in Texas, that Blue Jacket course uh, that he designed. saw a YouTube video on that, and it just looks outstanding. Where I would, actually, I would love to check that course out at some point. And, Chris, talk about your home course, uh, Boca West Country Club. It, uh, it looks fantastic from what I've been able to see, uh, at least online. Uh, Boca West Country Club has four uh, absolutely spectacular golf courses that are all pretty new. I mean, the last uh, 12 years, 15 years, they've redone all of the courses uh, completely. So it's, it's just an unbelievable golf facility with uh, four, four great golf courses and a brand-new driving range. Um, and uh, the courses are two Palmer design, a Pete Dye, and a Fazio design golf course. And um, perfect condition, uh, past Palum fairways, um, Bermuda rough on two of the four courses, but they're, uh, they're great. And which it's such a great facility because it allows me to uh, with, have access to the golf courses with my students and the members here are, are fantastic. It's a very large membership, but four courses, the, Championship course is uh, Palmer One. Uh, the Pete Dye course is kind of like a link style course, but really interesting design. And then uh, the Fazio is a little more of a resort style course with beautiful landscaping and waterfalls, and it's just a fantastic facility. So anyone that's looking to check out a top uh, golf club in South Florida, Boca West is really a, a, a top top. I'm not surprised at all that it's rated number one in the state. And Chris, before we let you go, remind our listeners about your website, what they can find on it, and how they can follow you over social media perhaps as well. Well, it's, uh, social media, the um, I'm really not too big into the social media uh, as far as with Twitter or Facebook. Uh, the best place uh, is either through LinkedIn or uh, through my website at christianchaya.com. It's a great way to contact me. And uh, uh, if anyone's interested in, in uh coming down and working with me individually uh they're, they're welcome i'm here year-round um uh, and they can also connect with me through the pga site um but the website is, is the best bet and and i'm always uh very pleased to hear from from golfers and if they have questions i, I try to always get back to them right away with uh with any uh, tips or advice on, on what they can do to, to help their golf games to make their games great again and uh you know, if I might add also with the students that I work with at various levels from beginners to, you know, pro golfers, the thing is you want to work on your golf game either correctively or developmentally. You have to kind of make up a decision how you're going to work on your golf game to really enjoy the game more and to improve. And I strongly recommend that the, the people that put the time into playing the game should should make an attempt to uh, improve the golf game and enjoy it more. And, and it doesn't mean you have to play great. Just have an idea of where that golf ball is going and, and, and uh, getting a, having a professional help you with, with that is, is really important. Um, one of the worst things that golfers can do is when they take advice from other amateurs. That's one of the biggest uh, pitfalls I think golfers get into is they take advice from people that really aren't qualified and in, in, in golf, everybody's an expert, right? <laughs> Indeed. So, Chris, you know, thank you, you, you so much for taking back can help. Can help. Yes. Chris, thank you so much 
for uh, for joining me this morning. It, it was my, a pleasure having you as part of the show. I hope you come back and do it again sometime. We'd love to you know pick your brain a little bit more, get your tips and your insights, and uh, maybe talk a little football with your East Carolina Pirates as well. well. I would I would love to follow up, Chris. Uh, I really want to thank you for uh, inviting me to be on your show. I listened to it, and I love the uh, Thursday night tailgate show. Oh, and one other thing, just uh, for for your listeners, a little uh, side note is that I played my high school ball with Steve Young back in Greenwich, Connecticut. Oh, is that uh, right? Steve Young, yeah, Steve is a year older, and but I played. Uh, I love to tell the story because people then assume I got a full scholarship to East Carolina on the football team. I said, no, no, I played on the basketball team with Steve for two years, and he went to Brigham Young, and then I went to East Carolina for a golf scholarship. But um, and Trey Wingo from ESPN was uh, a friend of mine in high school, uh, ESPN fame. But yeah. Steve was uh, Steve was actually a big uh, motivational factor for me. I used to watch him and 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 look up to Steve as, as not just a great athlete. He was phenomenal, captain of the baseball, basketball, football team. And but he was a top student, and he's just a better guy. I mean, he really was the type of guy I was fortunate enough to be around as a, as a student athlete. And it really helped me to stay motivated on school and to and to work hard. He had discipline like nobody else. And uh, I, I can't say enough good things about Steve Young. And I was very fortunate to uh, be around him for a couple of years because that really helped me to, I think, get a golf scholarship and to play uh, uh, through college and pro golf because uh, at that age you want to really get focused on school. And if you're into a sport or multiple sports, uh, I think it's a great – thing to uh, partake in because it just keeps you, uh, you know, on track for some success. And Steve uh, was really a, a good role model. Uh, and um, I really like uh, his career was fantastic with him. And the 49ers are unbelievable. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great story. Thank you for uh, for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, so Yeah, I was thinking about, I should have mentioned right at the beginning because of your, your Thursday night show uh, with the football. And uh, uh, it's kind of interesting who, you know, when you when you grow up around people that are that athletically gifted, but he was you know, the same guy, but he was very um, he was a top top student as well. And I always tell the, the young athletes I coach to just make sure. And when I was told at East Carolina day one, when I showed up, the coach told everybody on the golf team he said, "You guys that are on the golf team, you're gonna you're gonna graduate and you're gonna get a degree." Uh, so they they were very uh, uh, you know careful with, with us in our grades, and they made sure that we all. Uh, stay focused on our school as a top priority. No, that's that's fantastic. And you know, that's some of the things that, you know, we like to talk about on the on the uh, on the football side is, you know, folks that have, you know, put you know, coaches and we just had Willie Simmons from Prairie View A and M who we, we have a world of respect for. And when you hear stories like that and coaches that, you know, are trying to develop, you know, young men you know, to be mm-hmm. good people, be good students, to be good in their communities. Those, those are the things that uh, the the types of stories that we love to hear about because that's oh, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. Yeah, and I think now it's you know I still play in some tournaments and some celebrity tournaments and pro ams and uh, but what also is interesting in my career as a, as a golf instructor is the people I meet from the members of the club to people like you know Alex Kovalev, the hockey player I coach. Um, you get just. Out of the blue, people from different uh, sports, Super Bowl champions. Uh, John Schmidt of the New York Jets is one of my students. Uh, Bobby Nystrom of the Islanders, I coach. So I, I really love to pick their brains from their sports. They, how did you become that good at your sport? How did you practice? And uh, yeah. it's really, it's really a interesting thing. And, and the, you know, the champions in other sports that uh, I give, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard a golf lesson. Wow. Uh, and, and Paul O'Neill. So I think the 
uh, the people, the, the athletes in other sports that love golf, uh, they search to find uh, top instructors. And, and uh, the more I teach golf, the more I'm fortunate enough to, to come across some of these people. And, and, and it's really interesting to me. Um, and it, and it just, you just keep learning. That's, you're, you're in golf, you're always learning. Like you're the rules official. We can always learn more about the rules. And, and uh, I, thought, I thought Mark was very interesting to listen to on the rules of golf. Um, so there's always something to learn, and I always keep an open mind. And, yeah, uh, no, absolutely. Well, and like I say, Chris, now that you sort of opened up that door a little bit, boy, I sure love to have you come back and talk about what it was like to to teach some of these guys, the Sugar Ray Leonard's, the Paul O'Neill's, and, and uh, of the world. So hopefully, uh, we get the opportunity to catch up with you again real soon. You got to be my pleasure, Chris, anytime. Uh, and uh, we'll be in touch. And I want to uh, hope you have a great season. Enjoy the football season this year, and and uh, all the best to you and your listeners. And um, I appreciate the time. Ah, absolutely. And same to you, Chris. All the best to you and your family. We look forward to the next opportunity. Hopefully that comes real soon. Yes. Okay. Cheers. That was Chris Chaya again, and Chris spells his last name, C-Z-A-J-A. So ChristianChaya.com is the name of uh, is Chris's uh, site. So please go out there, check it out, and uh, you know, perhaps uh, send him a video and let him analyze your swing because, uh, boy, it just sounds like Chris has gotten you know, a lot of great advice and a lot of great insights and tips, and I think it will do uh, your game a lot of good to, uh, to connect with Chris. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode. But before we do, we want to remind you about our friends and uh, partner, uh, PGA Tour professional Jim Estes and the great folks over at the Salute Military Golf Association. Let's hear a word from Jim about all the great things that they're doing. The Salute Military Golf Association was created to provide rehabilitative golf experiences to the brave men and women who have been wounded while serving our country. Hi, I'm Jim Estes, PGA Golf Pro and co-founder of the Salute Military Golf Association. With my adaptive golf program, we've successfully helped thousands of soldiers in their recovery, both mentally and physically. The SMGA has been providing family-inclusive golf experiences across the country since 2007. To date, the SMGA has equipped more than 1,000 warriors with properly fitted golf clubs and has extended its clinic series to more than eight chapter and affiliate locations across the U.S. If you are a wounded veteran interested in participating or if you'd like to learn more about the Salute Military Golf Association and find a chapter closest to you, visit our website at smga.org. We've seen firsthand how impactful golf can be in aiding one's recovery. The Salute Military Golf Association, empowering wounded veterans one fairway at a time. Visit smga.org. That's smga.org. This is the time to play legendary golf at French Lick Resort. Book one of our money-saving packages like the Hall of Fame package and play our Pete Dye and Donald Ross courses. Stay in historic luxury at our French Lick or West Baden Springs hotels. Relax in our spas. Dine in our restaurants. Have some gaming fun in the casino. Or just rock on our rambling verandas like they did 100 years ago. Go online to FrenchLick.com and book your legendary golf getaway now at French Lick Resort. All right, everybody, my sincere thanks again to Mark Dusbabic and Chris Chaya for making today's show so much fun for me to be a part of. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Please also check out our sister show. You just heard us talking about it with Chris, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host Bob Lazari, our announcer Joe LaGianucci. You know that show airs live 
every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it live on Blog Talk Radio as well as the Armed Forces Radio Network. That show, like this one, is also available on iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player.fm, SoundCloud, our good friends over at Podbean. You know, so if you've got a favorite app that you like to stream content from, we're on it. So please, you know, do a search for Next on the T. If you love football, do you know, search for Thursday Night Tailgate. We're probably on it. If we're not, please go on to our Facebook pages, whether it's this show, Next on the T with Chris Mascaro, or Thursday Night Tailgate. Let us know which one you like to use that you'd like to be able to stream our shows from, and we'll make sure that with, uh, we get it over there for you. Um, so, you know, that show, like I said, airs at, Thursday Night Tailgate airs live 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. So, please, join us every week there on Thursday Night Tailgate. We are joined by legends and stars from around the NFL. Like I say, we are official partners of the NFL Alumni Association there on the football side. This show, you can find us online, nextonthetee.net or thursdaynighttailgate.com. From either of our sites, you can also stream or download any of our archive episodes for free, folks. So, please, check out our websites as well. I can't thank you again or enough for choosing to listen to this show today. We appreciate you guys the very most. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors, and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Saturday to hear more stories about the game we love from the people who love sharing those stories with you. It's all about the great game of golf. It's all about the great game of golf.